I'm Tressa. And And we are not amused. Today, we are going to be talking about a couple of prominent transgendered figures from the UK. Yes. (laughs) We We are. To figure out how we were going to say what we were talking about. Well, when we don't have like, it's not like we're talking about two artists or two doctors or two astronauts or something. Mm -hmm. Our people are completely different. (laughs) So we were like, how do we say this? Yeah. All right. That's what we're talking about today. I'm excited. This was actually a listener-suggested topic. At least my person was, specifically. Right. They were like, you need to talk about this this doctor. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So I'm excited to do this one. And I really enjoyed researching it. I don't know how you felt about yours. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. It took me a little bit to find, like, some good information. But, well, actually, it took me a little bit to find who I'd be researching. Yeah. But yeah. then once I found that. I was able to find quite a bit. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So let's discuss tea real quick. What we tea. got for today. Yeah. And then we can jump right in. Okay. Okay. Do you want to go first? Sure. I'll go first. <laughs> I really hope you like your tea because I suggested it. This so. is, yeah. This is Tressa's tea. Um, It is... By the Republic of Tea. That's the brand. And it is pumpkin spice flavored. So it's a black tea with ginger, cinnamon, natural ginger, and pumpkin flavors. Sweet blackberry leaves, nutmeg, cloves, and allspice. Cool. Sounds delicious. (laughs) Should we just put in a disclaimer? What? That I've had it? No. (laughs) That I already know it's delicious. No. <laughs> what disclaimer about where I live? Yeah, the noise. Mm-hmm. And me so acting up. Yeah. Sure. Should I do my tea first? <laughs> I sure. I don't know. I'm trying, trying to go in order. I don't know. <laughs> Ugh. Also, sorry. Just FYI for you. I've had an eye twitch since like last Wednesday, and it's been awful. And so it just like happens every once in a while, and. Oh, that's fun. It's incredibly annoying. And I'm like, when is this going to, when is this a, like a problem? When do I need to go to a doctor? <laughs> like, anyway. Okay. All right. Well, I have a decaf Lady Grey, which is a black tea. And it's from tw- Twinnings or Twinings. Nobody actually knows. Um, and it is your basic Lady Grey, but decaf. So decaffeinated black tea, orange peel, lemon peel, natural citrus flavors with other natural flavors. Yay! Classic Lady Grey. Just hit my microphone. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) We're on a roll today. Yeah, it's like we haven't done this in months, but we have. Mm -hmm. It's just last month that we recorded, so. What do you want? Sheesh. Anyway... Okay, so quick disclaimer about uh, where I live now. I'm in an apartment, and it's a little noisy because I'm on the second floor, so you can hear the people above us, and you can hear people on the stairwell, and Miso likes to yell about it, so you may hear (laughs) many noises here. I also have lots of windows, so sometimes you can hear outdoor noise, but... We'll just do our best uh, to pause if uh, there's any really loud stuff and cut that out, but that's just maybe a part of this episode. So It works so well in our other episodes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
We're just like, eh, Listen, just leave it in. We don't have a recording studio, so just hush. <laughs> Give us a break. <laughs> We're doing this at our house. Uh, yes, mm. we are. Oh, yeah, okay. So you're going first, it's correct? Me. I set my tea down. There we go. Gotta get my notes. All right, your old-fashioned notes. I know. I have handwritten notes. <laughs> it's pretty weird. I hope I can read my own handwriting. I was a little worried about that. I did take notes very quickly, so. <laughs> All righty, let's go. I am covering Dr. James Barry. Um... All right, let's get into it. I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and that's that. And Dr. James Berry existed. <laughs> the end. Okay, so Dr. James Berry was born Margaret Ann Buckley in 1789 in Cork, Ireland. And the year is kind of disputed, actually, because um, he lied on forms, some official forms, so mm-hmm. he could be a man, live as a right. man back then. So the year... Up for debate, right? But that's the general consensus of 1789 was the year he was born. Um, And just a disclaimer, he lived his entire adult life as a man. So I'm going to be using the pronouns he, him, his throughout to describe him. Mm -hmm. There isn't anywhere, you know, where he ever (laughs) specified those. (laughs) That wasn't a thing back then. He just lived as a man. So... Okay, so he's known for being uh, a military surgeon in the British Army, and eventually he earned the rank of Inspector General, which is the second highest medical office in the British Army. So he really mm. rose in the ranks, and very quickly, too, when we go over his history. So a little background. Um, we don't know a ton about his childhood, for mm-hmm. good reason, you know, Due to his efforts to pass as a man, he had to lie a lot about (laughs) where he came from, right? Um, He had kind of a tough childhood, too. I guess his father lost his job due to some anti-Catholic sentiments. Mm. And they had no financial support. And the father ended up in debtor's prison. And there was also... He was possibly sexually assaulted when he was a kid and we'll actually circle back to that at the end of his life there's a little detail there mm-hmm. um he had an uncle named james barry who was like mm. a renowned painter like a huge deal i mean he's got his own wikipedia page so like you know <laughs> <laughs> like he was important right um but with the help of james and then james's liberal-minded colleagues and his mother our james was helped to get into medical school. So there was actually Mm. kind of a conspiracy going on where they were like, we're going to help this, at the time, you know, girl go to medical school. Okay, I was just about to ask. Yeah. Were they still Mm -hmm. identifying as a woman or had they already started? Well, it's hard to say, you know, because it was so long ago. Like, I don't know what... It's hard to say what James identified as and when that changed. Now, it's Mm -hmm. for sure that he lived as a man... To get through medical school and then from then on lived as a man his whole life so i'm gonna say especially from like here on out once he was in medical school that was that mm-hmm. so um in order to pull this off though not only did a bunch of people like rally together for him uh his mother also posed as his aunt oh wow because people in the community knew that she had born a girl mm-hmm. you know that makes sense so they had to 
find another explanation for that, which I thought was interesting. So his mom was like incredibly supportive, which I just think is so cool, <laughs> especially back then. Yeah, what was the, it was 17... 1789 was the year that he was born. So like earlier in mm-hmm. the 1800s. Yeah, then. I think it's so, yeah, began medical school in November 1809. Yeah. Is what I have written down. So early 1800s, yeah. Which yeah, that's nice. Certainly that not, <laughs> not the time period you would associate with uh-uh. those mindsets. Um, so yeah, he started medical school in 1809 at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, the school officials almost didn't let him take exams because they thought he was actually a young boy posing as older. Oh. <laughs> because... I mean, I guess he was slightly feminine. He was shorter. Yeah. You know, he had a high voice. And so they were like, you're too young to be in medical school. Mm-hmm. They Nobody ever thought he was a, a girl, right? Mm-hmm. They just thought a year or two young. <laughs> ah, I guess puberty yet. Right, exactly. Prepubescent boy, <laughs> however you say that. <laughs> so, anyway, they almost didn't let him take exams. Um, and then I guess he had some connections. You know, he was from a fairly prominent family. So they were like, you're going to let him take his exams. So <laughs> they did. And so he qualified as an MD in 1812. And then he moved to London. And then on July 2nd, 1813, he passed the exam of Royal College of Surgeons of England. Hmm. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's like an MD, maybe that's different than a surgeon. You have to go through more training. I would assume so. Probably. Uh, But anyway, so 1813, he was officially a surgeon at that point. Um, And then he joined the army July 6th, 1813, as a hospital assistant. He was promoted to assistant surgeon in December 1815, so only after, like, a couple years of service. Yeah. So it didn't take long for him to work his way up. Mm -hmm. Um, He was posted in Cape Town, Africa in 1816, where he met the governor... He also treated his sick daughter successfully back to health, and then he was welcomed into the family and, like, was literally just a member of the family at that point, and Mm. they remained friends and close till the end of the governor's life. There is kind of a running theory, though, that because James was biologically female, that this relationship was more than friendship. Mm. So much so that there was an investigation of homosexuality between them. Oh, they wow. Were, they were both found not guilty or whatever, you know. Because mm-hmm. you could be found guilty of that back then, you know. Right. Was um, the governor married? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> Who knows? Nobody know. knows what actually <laughs> went on there. But, uh, yeah, they were close. That's mm-hmm. what you need to know. <laughs> Um, So, in 1822, the governor appointed James to Colonial Medical Inspector, which I guess was a huge jump in rank. He went from being, you know, assistant something to a medical inspector. Yeah. So, um, he was only, you know, I guess nine years into his career, but still, Mm. that's a big deal. What year was it? Like, how old was James at this time? Um, 1822, 1789. He was 33 at the time. So, fairly young I mean, in, like, the career of a surgeon. Uh-huh. I feel like. Yeah. I mean, 33... Okay, when I think about a person I want to be, like, performing surgery on me, I don't think of a 33-year-old. <laughs> Does that... 
you know is that because we're like is almost because four we're... years from being 33 <laughs> yeah i'm like absolutely not you don't want me operating on anybody <laughs> e, no but yeah so anyway james is moving on up there of course the governor appointed him and we all know that right they possibly i mean they were at least very good friends so there was at least some he you had know. connections. He had connections. And whatever and he those used were, them. we don't know, but mm-hmm. he had them. So. And he used them. And you know what? More power to him. I don't care. Honestly, that's how you move up anywhere. Yeah, and if he <laughs> so. can, you know, successfully do the job, mm-hmm. then right. it's fine. Yeah. If and he can't, then it's a little concerning. <laughs> it seems like he was really good at his job. Yeah. Because he stayed in Cape Town for 10 years after right. that as colonial medical inspector, and he accomplished a ton. So he improved the sanitation and water system there. Mm-hmm. He improved conditions for enslaved peoples, prisoners, and the mentally ill. And he created a sanctuary for lepers. And he performed the first successful C-section. He is the doctor credited with that. Wow. And they named the kid James in his honor. Of course. So he does know what he's doing. It was a good um, promotion. Yeah, he was. It was <laughs> well him. deserved, yeah. as far as we know. Thank you. That's what I was trying yeah. to say. <laughs> You're correct, yeah. Alrighty, so uh, James was promoted to Surgeon of Forces in 1827, and I guess that means, like, the British Army, like, surgeon. Oh, Like, one of them, yeah. Pretty big deal. He was sent to, I don't know how to say this, Maratius? Uh, I don't know. It's an island off the southeast (laughs) coast of Africa. I'd never heard of it before this, so. I guess it's even, like, further east than, so, like, closer to... Asian countries than Madagascar, so it's just further mm. off the coast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was sent to Jamaica in 1831, and then uh, St. Helena Island in 1836. Um, he did, though, within that time period, uh, go back to England to treat Somerset, who was the governor okay. that he knew, which was against military orders. Like, he was stationed not in England, and he Mm -hmm. left anyway in order to go treat his friend or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he stayed there until his death, Somerset's death, like, stayed with him till the end. So they were really close. Did he die of his illness? Mm Mm-hmm. That's sad. Yeah. So he took quite a risk to go back to England and see him. I mean, he could have been... I don't know what they call that. I was going to say fired, but you don't get fired from the army. <laughs> uh, discharged? <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, so then in 1840, he was posted to the Leeward and Windward Islands in the Caribbean. And there he really focused on improving conditions for the troops. And in 1845, he actually got yellow fever and he had to return to England in order to recover. They really didn't have the provisions for that there. Mm-hmm. So, 1846, he was stationed in Malta, and then 1857, he was in Canada, so he's all over the place Yeah, with this military career, which is great. Um, in Canada, he fought for better food, sanitation, and medical care for prisoners and lepers, um, and he was also promoted to Inspector General of Hospitals. Of all of Canada? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> No. I didn't question these titles too much. That's fine. <laughs> they sure sound prominent to me. I'm just trying to ask more questions like you do when I'm talking. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I wish I knew more details, to be honest with you. 
my source is Wikipedia, so I didn't go too much further into it. Mm-hmm. But there was really plenty there, so. Anyway, um, he had risen, I think Inspector General, if I remember right, yeah, Inspector General was the highest rank he ever achieved, but that was the second, the second highest medical office in the British Army, the second highest rank you could have as mm. a medical officer. So big deal. Yeah. Big deal. So that, that was 1846 in Canada, um, and that was... He'd reached, he never reached the top, right? But he reached the second, and that was kind of the end of his rise, you know, in the military. He just worked from there on out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, overall, the things that he was really known for when he was in the army, anywhere he went, he was known for trying to improve sanitary conditions, mm-hmm. which was so important back then. Yeah. So gross. <laughs> <laughs> and then... He was really keen on improving the diets for soldiers and underrepresented groups. Um, He was actually, like, a a vegetarian and Mm. did not drink, completely abstained from alcohol. He had really, like, modern views on nutrition for the day. Nobody was vegetarian back then, you know. Um, But that was part of what motivated him to improve things like nutrition and sanitation and whatnot for people. Um. I guess he did kind of have, like, a temper, or he was kind of hot-headed. Like, mm. suffering just completely outraged him in any form, and he was sometimes kind of tactless when he was demanding that things change, mm-hmm. and was arrested and demoted multiple times. Oh. So, that being said, the fact <laughs> that he was even demoted at all at any point, and still managed to right. make it to Inspector General, mm-hmm. that's that's a big deal. Yeah. Um... He was also known for being really distant and keeping personal relationships at a minimum, which is understandable at that point. Mm -hmm. He actually preferred his pets over people. (laughs) And he had his favorite poodle was named Psyche. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought that was funny. So I was like, good for you, James. I feel that. Um, He did have uh, like a manservant that stayed with him. Like, when he lived in Cape Town, so his mm-hmm. first posting in the military is when he got the manservant, um, and he stayed with him until he died. So, it's possible. There's a theory that, that his name is John. John might have known that James right. was biologically a woman. Yeah. But he might have been, like, the only person that knew, right? Mm-hmm. But they traveled everywhere together, so. Um... In 1859, the army finally forced James to retire <laughs> because he oh. was really ill and old. Oh. So James went to London and eventually died of dysentery in 1865, which is a really sad way to go, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that birth year is right, 1789, then he was 76 when he died. Wow. Which, phew, 1865? Yeah. That's a good long life. Mm-hmm. So, good for him. Um, James's, uh, true sex was only discovered in a post-mortem exam. Oh. Literally nobody knew. Um, as far as we know, nobody knew. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I, I have a feeling John may have known his manservant. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like, James kept it under wraps. Everyone thought he was just kind of an effeminate man, you know? That's impressive yeah his whole life (laughs) i mean (laughs) i can only imagine how 
I mean, that's the thing. Like, James was transgender as far as we know. So, mm-hmm. like, he was living his life as he wanted to. Yeah. Um, but to not actually, I don't, I don't think there were any options to transition, you know. So it was time. like, you just, mm-hmm. you just had to be really careful who you, you know, who you were, like, intimate with. <laughs> and isn't it crazy that, like, it didn't affect anybody else? I know. And actually, it benefited everyone that yeah. James lived his true life as a man. Because look at what he did. Yep. Look at all his accomplishments. <sighs> it is interesting. Um, but get this. During that postmortem exam, it was also revealed that James had very likely once been pregnant and had had a child. What? The theory being that it was a result of the sexual assault oh. when he was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how sad, right? So what happened to that baby? Okay. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> I know. I actually ready to answer that question because <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I'm fascinated. So there's not a lot of information, but when James was still living at home, there was a third sibling in the family that just kind of sort of appeared. Oh, okay. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, her name was Juliana. And the theory is that this child was actually born by James, not james's mother mm-hmm. so and that they were just like oh i don't have a new baby <laughs> right <laughs> who knows they i'm i'm sure they did everything they could to cover that up mm. um it, it's it's sad though like that that his true sex was discovered because it was in his last wishes that he not be examined upon his death so like i think mm-hmm. he was afraid of that yeah coming out um, but somehow it happened anyway, which is too bad. I guess his, like, not his exact words, but they, it's something like he just wanted to be wrapped up in the bed sheets and thrown in the grave, basically. <laughs> like, he was like, wrap me up in the sheets and throw me away. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that, that didn't happen. Who knows how. Right. But um, the fact that we know... I think it's it's pretty great to know that that he was able to live his life successfully and like you said it didn't affect anybody. Mm-hmm. Um there's there was actually a theory even back then after this was all discovered and discussed by people that were like oh my goodness you know our friend James right the theory was that he was intersex and not a full woman because how in the world could a woman a biological woman accomplish all this you know that was the that was the theory which and people i mean people are really offended by that because it's mm-hmm. like why what are you saying you know what right. are you saying that like so it's sad and i know i keep referring to him as a woman and i don't mean to misgender him but biologically a woman yeah people would just doubted that you know, he could have ever accomplished everything that he did that way. <laughs> without, without, whatever. Because okay. <sighs> you need a penis for that, I guess. I don't know. Didn't you know? <laughs> you can only be a doctor if you have a penis. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. What would, what do you know without one? Ay, ay, ay. So, God. anyway, James obviously was incredibly successful mm-hmm. as he was. So. There are lots of great books about him for further reading. Um, I also, apparently there's a movie in the works with Rachel Weisz playing James. 
I don't know when that's going to come out, but I was kind of interested to see. I don't know if I know who that is. I mean, I'm sure I do, but I don't. You would, you would absolutely recognize her face. I'm trying to think of what she was in. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that is the incredible story of Dr. James Barry, kick-ass surgeon. Mm-hmm. So. Sounds like it. Yeah. Really, really interesting to research. I, I very much enjoyed learning about him, so. Yeah. Um, he's also probably more famously known from The Mummy, I would guess. <gasps> oh, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, yes. I didn't watch it, but yeah. That's there's a movie that I know I I've seen her in that I've seen like many times and I just can't I can't think of it. She's been a lot. Not yeah. to upstage Dr. James Barry. Yeah. By now talking about We're it. talking <laughs> about Dr. James Barry. Damn it. <laughs> but that's who's gonna play him, so <laughs> it's relevant. I hope it actually happens. I would like to see the movie. Yeah. So. I was gonna say it was impressive to me, and maybe it's because of his ranking when he was in the military. I feel like, I guess if you're maybe like a soldier, you have to share <laughs> room, you know, you like live with yes. other people. So maybe since he wasn't, he had his own space and was able to, you know, change yeah. clothes. Yeah. Okay. And maybe had his own bathroom or something. Because that's what I was wondering. I was like, how could you keep I mean, it a secret if you like have to be around? Just the fact that you have to like make sure your boobs are wrapped up. Yeah. Like. All day, all the time. Well, like, maybe he wasn't very well endowed. Well, and then it wasn't as it big of a deal. It doesn't matter, though. I feel like you, you can see boobs. I mean, I guess. Even but if, if they're small. <laughs> if they were smaller, it was probably easier, you know. Mm-hmm. I have seen pictures of him. Yeah. Um, and while he does have, like, soft features, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I wouldn't have known. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't, yeah. I'm sure it was difficult at times. There was a note in, in Wikipedia about how he was very, very adamant that nobody watched him change. Okay. Like, he would so. go and, like, find a private space. Like, he was, I mean, he would get angry if people So he probably didn't have insisted his own otherwise. private area. Then. I, who knows? But, yeah, before he was high ranking, probably not. Yeah. So, I'm sure that was a tough Tough time. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to be talking about Erica Rutherford. Ooh. Okay. And so Tressa, obviously, um, uh, she said James Barry was a listener um, suggestion. And so I really wanted to try and find someone who, since she was doing James Barry, who was female to male, I really wanted to try and find someone who was male to female. Which was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I don't know if it's because it was a historic... Like, I was trying to find a historical person. And so, like, you know, during the olden times, in the 1800s <laughs> or whatever... Back in the day. <laughs> um, it was, in a way, better to be a man if you were trying yeah. to be successful. That's probably... Mm-hmm. And so if there were any... Like, if there weren't any people who didn't, you know, identify as male but were born male, they probably still identified as male out in the public and then because when they it, went home it or gave whatever them an advantage yeah <laughs> yeah um i don't know if that's true that was just the thought i had of like why is this so hard to find so yep i found someone who was born in 1923 
in mm-hmm. Scotland. So, okay. Erica was born Eric Rutherford on February 1st, 1923 in Edinburgh, Edinburgh, <laughs> Edinburgh, Edinburgh, We're Scotland. So American. <laughs> um Yeah, I'm not going to try and say it. It's a Scottish accent. So, I'm going to go through like <laughs> sort of like family life and some dates and stuff like that don't feel like you have to keep track of it all because man oh man will there be a quiz (laughs) (laughs) no but she got around so (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) um so i will say that erica didn't um go through her reassignment surgery until she was in her 50s oh my gosh so she actually had it yeah wow okay and so i think up until around that point she still identified as he oh gotcha. i'm just gonna refer to her as she the whole time because that's well it sounds like she had reassignment surgery so like that's yeah. what she identified as yeah probably <laughs> Up until she could have reassignment <laughs> surgery. Who knows? I guess yeah. I shouldn't speculate, but... Right. <laughs> um, so her parents were David and Isabel Rutherford. Mm-hmm. She is the youngest of four children. Um, throughout her life, she lived in the U.S., Spain, South Africa, and England. Obviously, Scotland, because that's where she was born. Um, before settling down on Prince Edward Island in Canada. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> oh, is that... That's all I think of when oh. I hear... I had to look up where Prince Edward Island was. Oh, uh uh-huh. Because I had no idea. And it's kind of like, I mean, you must know. Mm -hmm. It's like past our most northeastern state. It's fucking cold. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, So in 1942, she married um, Chloe Clow. In 1943, their daughter Gail Erica was born. And then in 1944, she separated from Chloe. Mm-hmm. And then in 1949, she officially divorced Chloe. Um, also in 1949, she married Gloria Green while in South Africa. Moved back to London with Gloria for a bit, but then decided to relocate back to South Africa, where they developed a banana plantation. Oh, <laughs> that's funny that both of our people had significant, like, spent a significant amount of time in South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that when you mentioned that he was in Cape Town. Interesting. Um, Gloria ended up having to go to Switzerland in 1953 because of health issues, and because they didn't see each other again, they divorced in 1955. I don't know what her health issues were. Uh Um, Also in 1955, Erica married Laura de Bourgrieve and returned to London. And then in 1958, she oh. separated from Laura. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and then 1959, she met Gail Turner and moved to Spain. Um, 1966, she officially divorced Laura. Mm-hmm. So she was still, like, separated from Laura when she met Gail. But then seven years later, officially divorced Laura. Also in 1966, Gail and Erica's daughter, Susanna, was born. I don't know if the divorce or the daughter was... I don't mm-hmm. know which came first, but yeah, it's quite a year, 1966. <sighs> quite a lot of years. <laughs> um, and then 1976, she had a reassignment surgery done when she was in her 50s, and it was actually done in St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. Yeah. How progressive, St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she died in 
on April 11th, 2008, and she was 85 years old. Holy shit. Yeah, that was not that long ago. No. So that's kind of, you know, her life and dates. Wow. So her education. I have this kind of like split up into categories. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) It sounds like she she married, what was that, three women? Four? (laughs) Okay. It sounds like, I don't know. Four, I think. She maybe was trying to make life as a man work for her, but then, mm-hmm. you know, inevitably, if, like, <laughs> right, that's not who you are. Yeah, and from what I can tell, I might mention it later on, I don't quite remember, but um, she was still a man when she met Gail. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I think I do mention it later on, but we can talk about it more then, but I think um, she... They ended up separating for a little bit, and Mm -hmm. then they got back together, and, um, like, then, I don't know if she had her transition surgery during their separation or not, but, you know, Gail was with Eric, and then was with Erica, like, Uh she she didn't care. Okay. You know, she was more about the person. The person, right. You know, and I don't know if that was how she felt. If that's how Gail, like, viewed her love life as, like, I don't care about the gender. I just uh-huh. care about, like, who you are. Or if because she was already, like, in love with Eric and mm-hmm. knew who they were that when Eric decided to become Erica and, like, officially made the transition and everything, Gail was like, well. Yep, well, I'll still love you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. I didn't do a lot of research into Gail. Hmm. Okay, so Erica's education. She studied at a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. Um, studied at St. John's College in South Sea, UK. And then in 1937, she entered the Dartmouth Royal Naval College. Spent a year as a cadet on the HMS Conway in Liverpool. And the HMS Conway, I looked it up, and it's a naval training school that, like, takes place on a ship, like, that's a ship. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I guess that makes sense. That would right. be the best place to train. <laughs> right. But it was pretty cool. I think How it cool. um, like got destroyed oh. not long after she was done there. Like If I remember my dates war? correctly. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 1939. So she's 16 years old at this time. Um, <laughs> wow. She's already done so much, I feel like. She's only 16. Well, I did go through all of her relationships at the time, so. I I know. I just mean the, like, training and stuff, Mm -hmm. like, already. Yeah. Wow. So, she attended the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London. And Hmm. then, in 1945, she attended Slade Slade School of Fine Arts in London, where she studied stage design, drawing, and sculpture. She studied historic costume design at the Central School of Arts and Craft in London, and she attended the Academy Julian in Paris, <laughs> where she studied drawing and painting. Cool. So she studied at three different schools in one year, all those different things. So she was just artsy <laughs> as fuck. Yeah. She just had the knack. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. And um, at one point, there was a scholarship in her name. That was awarded by the University of Prince Edward Island. Um, I don't think they have that scholarship anymore because mm. I tried to look on their current list and I couldn't find it. But at one point there was a scholarship in her name, the university of the Makes place sense. she settled down. Mm-hmm. So, 
All right, her career. Huh. She became an artist, <laughs> a filmmaker, and a writer during okay. her time. You know, <laughs> well, that's all right. Fine. In 1939, she got a theater job and for two years worked as an actor in London. Um, even toured to army camps around England to act during World War II. And then in 1945, she designed sets for more than 30 productions in theaters across England as a stage and set designer. And some of those theaters included the Theater Royal in Windsor and the Theater Royal in York. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And I had to keep reminding myself, like, during this time, she was still going by Eric. So, like, yeah. I, keep, I keep seeing her as, like, a female doing all of these things, but I'm like, but she was still identifying as male. Uh-huh. At least uh, in public. Yeah. What year was that again? Can you re- repeat the year? I want to see how old she was. Which part? Uh, when she was designing, she designed, like, all those sets. Oh, 1945. 1945 minus, what, 1923? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So she, hold up. <laughs> 22, okay, that's impressive for a 22-year-old, period. I don't care oh, what yeah. gender you are. No. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. 22? Yeah. I didn't even know. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know shit when I was 22. I still don't know shit. Oh, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, the life that she had was just, like, insane. I can't oh, imagine. Amazing. Um, so then she, in 1949, she helped produce the first all-African feature film made in South Africa. Um, it's called Jim Comes to Joanberg, or it's also known as African Jim. <laughs> Um, it featured local musicians and actors, and this would be the only film that she worked on. Oh, okay. Credited as Eric Rutherford since she hadn't gone through her transition yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote the synop- synopsis from Wikipedia of <laughs> this film. I won't read the whole thing. It's basically like this guy named Jim leaves his tribal area co- area to seek fortune in Johannesburg. Um, he arrives. He gets mugged by these three gangsters. Oh. You know, some guy helps him out afterwards and um, helps him get a job in a nightclub. And then he's offered a chance to sing on stage with, like, this female star. Um, but then right before his debut, he sees the gangsters that mug- mugged him at the beginning uh-huh. and hear him, hear them playing a robbery. And so he's having to, like, decide, like, oh, do I can I stop, stop the crime <gasps> and then still get to my performance? <laughs> huh. Okay. So. Interesting. Um, 1964, she taught painting at the West Surrey College of Art in Farn- Farnham. <laughs> I thought um, you were trying to say the word foreign no. for a second. And I was like, I need help over there. <laughs> no. Farnham. Farnham. Okay. Um, at this time, she was with Gail, and they soon mm-hmm. returned back to Spain, where Susanna was born. Okay. Um, 1967, the little threesome all moved back to London, but Rutherford couldn't find work, so they moved to the United States. Oh, Must wow. be nice. They, they, just... they just up and moved. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and while in the United States, she became a teacher at the Louisville School of Art in Kentucky. Um, she technically started this job in 1968, so, but yeah. I did not see Kentucky coming. <laughs> not gonna lie. <laughs> Kentucky, Missouri. Wow. Uh, 1969, she was a visiting professor at West Virginia University. She just wanted, you know, like the Midwest 
South area, I guess. She's a whole experience, yeah. <laughs> um, in 1971, she was at the University of Missouri in Columbia and became an associate professor in the art department. Oh, wow. That's like right down the road. <laughs> I've been to that school <laughs> multiple there times. There you go. Huh. Um, and then the rest of this is kind of about her time on Prince Edward Island where she like officially mm-hmm. settled down. Um, she made lasting contributions to this little island, um, the main one being her help in the formation of the Great George Street Gallery. Her piece called We Can't All Be Perfect was approved by Charlottetown, located in Prince Island, Prince Edward Island, um, city council to be a large mural on a building on Ooh. Great George Street. Ooh, cool. And I actually found two articles that kind of talked about this. Because... <laughs> The two articles I found about this were posted at the end of December 2021. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We really picked the right time to cover Erica. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. This decision like just happened a couple months yeah. ago. Hmm. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, this particular piece portrays like her gender transformation. Hmm. She painted the piece during the mid-70s, which was right when she would have been in the middle of her transition. Mm-hmm. Um, this is funny. Gail, her partner, says the title of this piece, We Can't All Be Perfect, comes from a line from the movie, Some Like It Hot. <gasps> I love that movie. Um, you might know where it is, but just for our listeners, if they don't, at the end of the movie, one of the guys is pretending to be a female while a millionaire <laughs> is proposing to him, and he says, but you don't understand, I'm a guy. <laughs> and the millionaire replies with, oh, well, we can't all be perfect. And according to Gail, that, like, always really amused Erica. Uh So that's why she named her piece from that. That's funny. Yeah. Um, The mural will show three women, two in black boots, one in red boots, um, all in what look like sports bras and, like, short shorts or maybe, like, short underwear. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Spanx. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We'll try to post it on our instagram i don't know if we'll be able to find like an image we can use but if yeah, we can we'll do our best we'll do that we'll just actually we'll just go to prince edward island and take a picture ourselves yep ready <laughs> <laughs> okay you were just complaining that it was cold there you have to go in the summer well i think this episode will be out before the summer mm. well y'all so. just gonna have to be patient then <laughs> or use google <laughs> yeah, you could just google it <laughs> Um, her work has been displayed in a ton of group and solo shows, uh, just to name a few. She's been in London's Leicester Galleries, Canada Council Art Bank, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and the Arts Council of Great Britain. So, wow. um, Erica also helped form the PEI Printmakers Council through organizing printmaking workshops. Cool. Okay. So, I don't know. That's cool. like a big thing for their little town. Um, Probably and a way then, to print her own work, too. So Yeah. That's true. <laughs> that's nice for her. Yeah. So then um, the last big thing she did was she was an author. So she had... <laughs> f- <laughs> okay. <laughs> she had five, um, like, books that I could find. Um, there's The Owl and the Pussycat, which came out in 1986. And she just created illustrations for Edward Lear's poem. Mm, okay. Um, and then there's Yoga for Cats, but came out in 1987. Oh my and God. if I'm understanding the research I did correctly into this book, <laughs> it says it's by Talia Katasanda, but that's 
That is like the feline guru of yoga devotees worldwide. That's a quote. So what I understand what? is it's like basically the main character of the book and Erica is the actual author. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> that is strange though. Yeah. It did take me a minute. <laughs> yeah. And then I wrote, otherwise I have no clue what it's about. And okay. it's in the humor category. So I don't know. I feel like that's helpful. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, the next book is Dance for Cats. Oh, my God. Okay. I really think we would have gotten along with Erica. Probably. Especially considering she was also big into theater and, like, set design. Mm-hmm. Just, yep. I feel like we would have clicked pretty well. <laughs> that was published in 1988, and I couldn't find a description for this book, but again, it falls in the humor category. <laughs> Dance for Cats. Um, yeah. And then there's Nine Lives. The Autobiography of Erica Rutherford, oh, mm-hmm. which came out in 1993, um, and then An Island Alphabet, which was 1994 and is a, a children's book. Okay. So, um, there was an article, I'll go through all my sources, but one that one source that I had was an article um, by Extra, and it had an interesting take on her life. Um, it uses the autobiography to kind of outline the article. Mm-hmm. And I have a quote here just to like show what I mean by that. Um, one of Rutherford's first, very first lives was growing up male. She didn't relate to the assigned role. Um, and then one of her lives included farming and working as a film producer in Africa. Oh my gosh. And so it's like, and then one of her lives, you know, she was like this artist and printmaker in Prince Edward Island. She and, really does know. seem like four different people. Like yeah. She... I mean, her accomplishments are just so vast. Mm-hmm. She just did everything. Yeah. And if I had been able to, like, find her sooner, like, <laughs> no, this is who I was researching, I was going to try and find her autobiography. That would have been cool. I but mean, to read. then I looked it up on my um, audio app. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it wasn't there. And then I tried to look it up at my local library and they didn't have it. So it's like, well. Darn it. I know. Maybe even if I had found it, found her and done my research, I wouldn't have been able to find the book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last little bit I have is just about uh, her transition. So in her early life, she relied on acting skills to, and this is a quote, to perform gender and to create a masculine persona. Oh. Um, in her early life? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Psychiatrists <laughs> misdiagnosed her as a repressed homosexual since this was during a time where there was no clinical diagnosis as gender dysmorphia. Mm. And gender dysmorphia, in case you <laughs> I tried to be ready if you had any questions for me on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the distress a person feels due to a mismatch between their gender identity, their personal sense of their own gender, and the sex assigned at birth. Yeah. So, just in case people were aware what that was. Um, In her autobiography, she discusses how it wasn't until the 1960s that the medical community even began to acknowledge that gender dysmorphia could and did exist. Um, And then in 1976, she had her reassignment surgery. And in 1975, her and Gail legally separated and she adopted the name Erica and underwent the surgery. Okay, so it was when they were separated. But within Mm. less than 10 years, they were back together. Oh. So. I am sure... That as someone's partner, no matter how much you love them, that would be such a shock. Mm-hmm. You just, to to stay and be able to handle that would be really hard. Yeah. Ten years, though, I mean, that's a, that's a huge break. Mm-hmm. Probably just took a lot of time to realize, like, 
I don't want to be with anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what gender you are. Right. But, yeah, what a shock. Yeah, I can only I imagine. Right. Um, so, this doesn't even cover everything that Erica did in her life. Erica. Then I'm going to wrap it up there. Why are you going to put the rest of us to shame like that? <laughs> so, I would like to check out her autobiography if I can find it. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll just have to buy it. Yeah, I. likewise, I really would like to read books about Dr. James Barry. There's mm-hmm. one that's, like, pretty popular called A Woman Ahead of Her Time. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my source is really quick. <laughs> IMDb for the information on oh. the movie. <laughs> yep. Wikipedia. Um, an article from extramagazine.com about Erica Rutherford specifically. It came out in August, on August 7th, 2008. So four months after her passing. Mm-hmm. Um, an article from saltwire.com and an article from cbc.ca, which is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So, yeah, cool. That's Erica Rutherford, someone I honestly had never heard of before. Nope, me neither. And she even had ties to, like, Missouri. Yeah. Like, close by. So, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yep. Good pick, Taylor. Oh, thanks. I was pretty excited when I found her. Yeah, I bet. I was like, oh my god, there's something I can talk about. <laughs> I had someone else picked out, and I was like, this is great, I've got my person. You know, this was a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. I was like, I have time to research this. And then when I went to research them, I was like, I'm such an idiot, this person's from France. Shit. <laughs> that sucks. I thought my search was based off UK, but apparently the article I clicked on was just like, historical transgender people. Oh shit, yeah. People. I was like, dang it, can I tie it into UK at all? Did they ever go there? Yeah. Did they step foot in? <laughs> Just a toe, please. No. So. All right. But I was happy with Erica. So I'm glad I found her. Yeah. <coughs> I'm going to keep that in. <laughs> You're editing this one, so that's fine. Uh, all, right, all right. Well, who who said their tea first? Me. Okay. Well, then you get to review first, Taylor. Okay. How exciting. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. <laughs> Just a reminder, I had the Republic of Tea Pumpkin Spice Tea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did finish it. Oh, wow. I mean, okay, well, I guess there's like a little bit left, but I'm not going to drink it because I'm sure it's cold. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that probably shows how I liked it since I finished it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. Um, this is something I always do with tea. It doesn't matter what the tea is. If it's a flavor that I think I'm really going to like, I'm always slightly disappointed that it's not as strong as I think it's going to be. <laughs> you know, it's not coffee. It's tea. Yep. So it's more like a hint of flavor. The flavor isn't really the focus of right. tea. Yeah. So once I got past that, I really liked it. Um, it smells great. Right. That's another thing with tea yeah. is it smells so good. And Deceiving. Then, yeah. The taste is not as strong, no. but. It was good. I could taste, like, bits of all the spices and stuff they had in there. I really liked it. Um, I think I'm going to give it, like, an 8 out of 10. Nice. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Me too. Thanks um, for the recommendation. You're welcome. Shout out to Emma for giving me the tea. <laughs> um, let's see. I had the decaffeinated Lady Grey tea from Twinnings or Twinings. Nobody knows. 
<laughs> anyway, very classic Earl Grey taste with a you know twist of citrus. And actually, I was pleasantly surprised by the citrus actually being pretty prominent. Oh, really? It wasn't like orange in your face, you know, mm-hmm. but it was like, oh, there's a little bit of orange taste and mm-hmm. I really liked it. So, and I just had it plain. So I'd like to try it with something else maybe later. Um, I almost finished mine, but it did get cold and it's just like black tea when it gets cold. Oh my God. It's not the same. This you know? is like a first though on I this know. podcast for Tressa to be like, I couldn't drink it because it was cold. Yeah, It's just like plain black tea, you know? Yeah. Kind of like, well, that's meh. how I feel about all tea when it gets cold. Yeah. <laughs> for me, if it's like flavored, I'm usually like fine with it. If I like the flavor, you mm-hmm. know, which, okay. This was great though. This is a great <laughs> default tea, you know, reminds me a little bit of PG tips in terms of just being a good like tea, mm-hmm. kind of a plain tea. So I would give it like a seven and a half out of 10. That's good. I liked it a lot. I would yeah. definitely drink it again. How do you think it would pair? With uh, the Jaffa cakes that we had. Ooh, really, really good. Actually, oh no, now I want some. Why would you say that? Because oh, it's no. relevant, Tressa. That was the last episode that came out. <sighs> now I want some Jaffa cakes. Oh, that's it for Dr. James Berry and Erica Rutherford. I almost said Dr. Erica Rutherford. <laughs> She's not a doctor. No, well, but she, she's like everything she else. Probably could have been. Yeah. Yep. Rude. <sighs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. You can email us at notamusedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at notamusedpodcast, where we post every Wednesday and Sunday if we remember. <laughs> and sometimes we post on Thursdays. Uh, and please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, every other Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody. All over the place. We got to wrap it up. We do. Thanks for listening. (laughs) See you in two weeks. (laughs) Goodbye.